Welcome to Almost 30 Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. It's Lindsay and Krista. We're so, so, so happy you're here. We're super grateful. I'm really excited about this episode. I'm excited you tuned in to Almost 30. I know there's a lot of podcasts out there. We help people create podcasts. We've <laughs> been doing this for a long time. <laughs> but you choosing Almost 30 feels really good. So thanks yeah, for being here. We appreciate you. And today's guest, we have had on our list, in our hearts for quite some time. And as always, we say it a lot, but the timing was perfect. The timing was perfect. Perfect. It Got just to felt so good. In person. Heck yeah. Check. In Austin. Check. Crying. Crying. Check. <laughs> check, check, check. No, but to, to talk to Aubrey Marcus was such a pleasure. I think when we left, I was like, I feel like so many aspects of him remind me of me. Mm. Just like, yeah, the philosophical part, the open-hearted part, the feeler, mm. the, the growth-minded kind of rebel. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people, you know, probably see so many aspects of Aubrey that they admire and aspire to. Um, but it was a really beautiful conversation. And I was excited because um you know, he has the documentary Awake in the Darkness, which is out at aubreymarcus.com. You can watch it for free with just your email. And I had been watching and really diving into his podcasts and his conversations around his time in absolute pitch darkness. Mm-hmm. And so it was like a perfect time to come in and talk about that too. Yeah, I was. I didn't realize what that experience would conjure, you know, I kind of thought like, okay, so you're in the dark for a long time, but I didn't realize that there were psychedelic experiences within the dark. There were deep subconscious, you know, upheavals happening. And, um, it was really beautiful to, to hear about his experience. You didn't actually see it because it's in the dark, but his his retelling and obviously documentary style um, audio when he was in the house or in the retreat house in the complete darkness was just super immersive. And, you know, it just speaks to so many things, but it really speaks to his commitment to mm-hmm. just going deeper. At, on his time, at his pace, but he's always just seeking a deeper understanding of himself, of his purpose, um, and also just like the collective experience mm-hmm. as well. Because I, f- I find him to be so, so compassionate mm-hmm. for all, and I think that really that takes that takes work to get to that point to open your heart so so much to be able to experience that. But if if you all are new to Aubrey Marcus, Aubrey is the founder of Onnit, which is a lifestyle brand. Uh, it's based on holistic health philosophy. And he's also the host of the Aubrey Marcus podcast. It's an incredible podcast. I'm sure y'all are fans. It's a motivational destination for conversations with some of the brightest minds in athletics and business and mindset. And he is also the author of Own the Day, of Own Your Life. Uh, these are New York Times bestselling books. So make sure to check those out. Uh, and he's also been a native of Austin for a long, long mm-hmm. time. A place where I feel like he was probably the first person to stay claimed. Yeah, Austin. literally the king of Austin. <laughs> <laughs> probably he's there like before the whole the whole move. Oh yes. I felt just really grateful to be in conversation, it felt like a really transformational time. I feel like when you're someone that that is that committed to growth and to 
um, like squeezing the juice out of life Mm -hmm. and really getting the most out of your experience here in this incarnation, you know, you're going to be going through a lot of different transitions, whether good or bad. So we caught him at a really um, open-hearted time right after a really powerful ceremony, right before a huge event. So it was beautiful to be in conversation about his love, his relationship, about grief, how to be open-hearted during times that feel hard to be open-hearted. We talked about his current transitions, what he's going through, what he's sort of learning and experiencing in life. And it was just a really present moment, deep dive. Mm -mm. You guys are going to love this one. Definitely share it with a friend if you feel called. You can follow Aubrey on Instagram at Aubrey Marcus. You can find him on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, all the things. And make sure to listen to his podcast, the Aubrey Marcus podcast. And again, Awake in the Darkness, his new documentary can be found on aubreymarcus.com. It's free. You just need to give your email. Thank you, Aubrey, so, so much for making the time. And we will see you all on the other side. We love you. Let's roll right into it. What we were just talking about, giving and receiving. That just like hit me. The the giving and worrying about the giving mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. cancels it out and doesn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, they're two very different things, yeah. Yeah. right? Because genuine giving, you're in correspondence and resonance Mm -hmm. with the person who's receiving. Mm -hmm. And so giving and receiving actually collapse Mm -hmm. into a unicity. Mm -hmm. Because like we all know how beautiful it is when you give someone something and they receive it. Or even if you give advice Mm -hmm. and it's like fully received, like think of that time you've been Mm -hmm. talking to somebody and you really get through to them. And then like tears come and you Mm -hmm. see like the see what they're receiving from you, like that fills you with that same feeling. And so giving and receiving collapse. So service becomes like such a potent Mm -hmm. medicine for you and the receiver because it's both the same thing. Mm -hmm. And that is always like self-fulfilling. It's a wellspring of, you know, of, of energy. Worrying about what you're giving or about what you're receiving is energy that has no inherent return Mm. it's just energy that's being spent and spent and spent in a future timeline or a past timeline that actually will never get received so it becomes exhausting Mm. so trying to move into a greater level of faith in what you're what is going to be received and what you're going to give that's where it gets a lot more comfortable so as we were talking about it it was in the context of planning events Mm -hmm. and me planning events for fit for service Typically, we do some planning, you know, we get it kind of sorted out, we have some support, but I'm so, I'm very confident that there's going to be so many ample opportunities for me to get into that reciprocity of Mm -hmm. giving and receiving in the small conversations that happen in between events and in between things, the little speeches that I give before and after and all of these different moments. And then the big pieces that I offer that it's actually very comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't even think of those like, oh, I'm going to be exhausted mm-hmm. when I'm done. It's actually like, no, this is great. Mm-hmm. This is actually feels really good. When there's a situation though where there's an excessive amount of planning and a lot of things are happening, that's where the exhaustion kind of comes or there's a lot of worry and things that, things that create a lot of doubt mm-hmm. and like kind of limit the amount of faith that you have because then it just puts you in all of the hypothetical timelines where... Yes. And mine loves to go. Yeah. Of course. Do you feel like there was ever a point where you had to 
have the worthiness to receive? Because I think for a lot of people, they can give, but there's also the worthiness of the act, the worthiness of themselves to be like, I'm actually worthy to receive what I'm giving back. Because I think so many people give, but I think for me, honestly, it was the worthiness to receive that was exhausting me at times. Have you ever felt like you've had to work on your worthiness or self-love enough to be able to receive all the love that you give? Well, it's true that you will not allow yourself to receive more love mm-hmm. than you feel like you deserve. Mm-hmm. Like we are we are the the guard at the gate. We're Cerberus at the gates of our own love, you know, love mm-hmm. Elysium. Obviously mm-hmm. Cerberus was Hades, but mm-hmm. this is like heaven, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're we have a guard at the gate of our heaven and it's telling us how much that we should receive depending on what we feel like we deserve. So mm-hmm. that's true. Mm-hmm. And I find that more in a different context though. I find that more in not the context of the giving and receiving collapse. I think I've always allowed myself in the giving and receiving. When I mm-hmm. know somebody's receiving, I allow myself to feel what that feels like because you can't help it. Mm-hmm. Like it almost the act of your giving self justifies your worthiness of receiving the act of giving, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. it's inherent. So it's built in. And that was always probably one of the best ways for me to receive, to just receive from the world without giving anything at, at any time. That's been more difficult. Mm-hmm. And actually, for, surely I can always work on greater levels of self-love. We all can. You know, that's a, that's a universal, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's that's a constant. But I actually, if you'll bear with me, I had a big kind of revelation about my resistance to receiving because I do have resistance to receiving and have had resistance to receiving. This message is for me, so I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. It was very surprising to me. It was very surprising mm-hmm. to me. And you'll have to follow me here for a minute. So ultimately, because I know that giving and receiving is actually a collapse, is one of the best things you can do for somebody is to receive, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's one mm-hmm. of the best gifts you can give is to receive. It's such a gift to the person who's giving. Mm-hmm. And, I, and like, we know that inherently. And so one way to deny someone is to deny them your receiving. Like, imagine that you're angry at your partner, right? You're upset with your partner. You got some resentment. You're, and they're trying to give you something. What do you do? You don't receive it. Mm-hmm. Why? Because you're not going to give them the gift of your receiving because you're holding that grievance and saying, you don't deserve my receiving. You don't deserve it. So I'm not going to give you that satisfaction because fuck you. Like even some part of us. So that's why resentment is the monster that eats love because it prevents you from actually receiving the love from your person because you don't want to give them the gift of receiving. Mm -hmm. So that explains it in a dyad, in like a relationship dyad. But why I was pondering deep in a medicine journey, well, why don't I receive from the universe? Mm -hmm. And what I realized and what came to me as like a revelation is I have a grievance with God. Mm. I have a grievance with God. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I have a grievance with God? Do I really? And I was like, yes, you do. And here's why. Because we all project the divine onto our parents. Our parents are not God, but we project God onto our parents. And our parents are human and they're fallible. Mm. 
and they will never live up to the standard of the divine. So the more that we've projected onto our parents or uncles or coaches or other people, we've projected the divine, and to the extent that they've let us down, we hold a grievance not with those people, but with God, because we've placed God on mm-hmm. all of these other people. So I realized that to actually reconcile my grievance with God, I had to pull all of the godness, all of the divinification that I had given to all of these people in my life and pull that all back and give that back to God. Mm-hmm. The only place that it can actually be held, the only place where your godness can be held is by God. Mm-hmm. And so that process then opened me up to the idea like I can receive from God, which means nature, which means people, and which means all of these things without actually holding that grievance to life, to the universe. God may be a hard word for some people, you know, because of all of the ways in which God has been used. And I'm with you. God has been misused Mm -hmm. probably more than any word in the history of Mm -hmm. humankind. But nonetheless, like the grievance that I was holding Mm -hmm. was preventing me from receiving. And by, you know, working to clear that grievance, I've been opening the gates to my receiving even more. Mm. But it's not like I snapped my fingers yeah. and it's all done. But it was it was a really stunning revelation to get there. Yeah, I had that issue this year where I was like, dang, I'm having beef with God. Like I found myself with this deep anger and frustration with God. And I was trying to work on what that was and where that was coming from. And there's a lot of like the feeling, a little bit of that little self where you're like coming to earth, you're doing the work, you're kind of in this process of supporting humanity. But also it's like how much when we're thinking about God as our family, our parents, all of these things, it's like within the Catholic church, God is the father. The father is the priest or pastor. Like thinking about how much we do place God in these human type of things. Mm -hmm. And it's like when we're making God human or we're making God other people or anything else, that's when we really lose the plot and that frustration comes Mm -hmm. because that's never going to be the source that really fulfills you in the way that is going to sustain you. And I really had to allow God to hold that anger and that frustration that I had during this time of feeling abandoned in a way and Mm -hmm. feeling lost and feeling like I needed to reorganize my conception of the love of God and that infinite love of God. So that's interesting you had that and that's really, really powerful. Yeah, and really well articulated Mm -hmm. on your side as well. Yeah, I mean, God is looking at all of us Mm -hmm. and... God is saying, like, you and your story mm-hmm. are the most important story in the whole world. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's the kind of love that comes from the divine, yeah. right? Like, really. Like, tell me more. Yeah. Tell me more. Tell me more, sweetheart. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's what we want from our parents. Yes. Like, how is not, yes. how's your day at school? Half yes. busy. No, we want like, yes. hey. Yeah. How is your day? Mm-hmm. Tell me more. Mm-hmm. That's why I do tell a podcast because I, mean, I, I didn't know. get that. Tell me, tell me more. Yeah. Like, and that's really that's that yeah. only comes from our understanding yeah. of of the divine. Mm-hmm. And then when we get that, I think that's also why we we have so many things that we crave, like constant attention. As a kid, yeah. mm-hmm. we're like, we want constant attention. Well, that's never going to come from a parent. So we're, our parents are going to let us down. But. God's attention is always with mm-hmm. it. That's the nature of the mm-hmm. infinite benevolence of the universe. It's like all permanent attention, permanent rapture mm-hmm. in, in, the, in this dialogue. And so I think all of these re-understandings of the nature of the divine and having these conversations with kids being like, 
hey, listen, like, let me tell you about God. Mm -hmm. God loves your story more than any other story Mm -hmm. and wants to hear every detail. And you don't even need to tell him Mm -hmm. it, whatever, Mm -hmm. she, (laughs) you don't even need to tell her. Mm -hmm. Just live it, Mm -hmm. live it. And she's with you as you living your story and is so into it. And I'm going to do my best to be the same, but I got so many other things going on. I got a lot, and I have to tell my own story to God too. Mm. And God's listening to my story. So I got to tell my story too. So we'll both tell our stories and sometimes we'll tell our stories to each other, you know, but you start Mm. planning these things. And I think kids will be like, oh, Mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. So my desire for constant attention is, okay, that's actually coming from a proper place. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's what we want. It's what we know the divine wants, you know? And so all of these different elements, the people who want to continue to talk and tell their story, of course, you want to tell your story, but don't, you don't have to tell it to people. Mm-hmm. You know, like know that the divine is listening mm-hmm. and that the nature of the divine is also, and this is us in our ontic identification as a divine is to listen. We want to know more. God, as you and as you, tell me more. Mm-hmm. So we get to step into our emanation and representation of the divine and, and play both sides. That's, I think, how we need to recalibrate our understanding of the divine. And mm-hmm. that changes everything. Mm-hmm. It really changes everything. When you pulled that divinity, like from, say, your parents and the people in your life that you placed so much value in their validation and they're seeing you and you pulled that and placed that back with the divine, how did it change your relationship with them? Or how do you see them now? How did it kind of heal the parts that felt like there was a little bit of friction? So interestingly, I was really running a paradox in my own mind Mm -hmm. where I'd already forgiven the human aspect of all of these people. I I wasn't holding them up to the standard of the divine and then Mm -hmm. judging them accordingly. I was seeing them for the people that they are. My mom, who is actually as close to a divine angelic being as any person I've ever known, I'm very blessed in that Mm -hmm. capacity. It wasn't like I had to change anything with the relationship. I still know her as Kathy. I still see all of her humanness and all of her, all of her just as a person. You know, I don't, even mother to me now we're like Mm -hmm. in some ways like the roles have shifted and she looks to me for guidance in many things it's this other this different type of beautiful relationship so it wasn't so much about the change in the relationships it was really about the change in my relationship with god Mm -hmm. and understanding that that was the relationship that needed to be repaired not necessarily the relationship that i had with other people now it's not to say that there aren't some challenging relationships still and some ways in which I still look for approval from certain people, not actually my parents, but different people in the world where I like, I want their approval. Mm-hmm. I want them to like mm-hmm. me, which in some ways is having them be a surrogate of the divine. Because if I realize that the divine is in constant approval mm-hmm. of me, then I wouldn't need approval from anybody mm-hmm. else. But the separate self is still obviously very alive. You can call that the ego or your identity, or the, I like calling it the separate self, the mm-hmm. one that knows itself is separate from the divine. The separate self is still looking for constant validation from those people who it feels like have authority to declare that validation. So validation from your partner. You know, did I do a good job? Mm-hmm. Am I a good lover? Did I honor our anniversary in a good way? Did I make a good dinner? You know, do you like this thing that I did? Like mm-hmm. all of these things that we look for approval. 
So that one's a tricky one, of course. And then people you really look up to in your, you know, social circle or admire, like, hey, did I do a good job? Was this a good podcast? Or did you enjoy this thing? Or so there's ways in which I still look for approval that way. And I think some of that's normal. And I don't think that's necessarily something we need to discard with. It just needs to be tempered with not going so deep as that it adjusts your self-worth. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge trap that I was in for a long time. Like if I didn't perform as a lover or didn't perform as a basketball player, I felt like I was a total failure mm-hmm. piece of shit. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have anything to temper the totality of my perceived failure and then internalize that as making me less than worthy. So that was a that was a big one mm-hmm. to overcome. And I think a, a deeper and more conditioned understanding of my divine nature would have really helped mm. with that. But I, this is all developing now. I mean, you're getting a live snapshot of a photo that's just developing yeah. really over the last so long. I mean, it started, of course, with my first plant medicine journey when yeah. I was 18. I was very lucky to go on a vision quest then. So that was 23 years ago. But it's really coming into form now. It's accelerating at a, at a really rapid pace. Yeah, I mean, to see and watch your process over the years is so wild. Like, it's interesting, you know, for you to mention like the snapshot now. I think when we're so in the here and now, it's like, I feel you and I hear you on that transformation and that experience and how real it feels. And as someone that's watched you, it's been so wild to see what I feel like you're feeling now from an outsider. It feels like you do all the time. It Mm -hmm. feels like so much a part of the fabric of who you are to be in that transformation and in that journey and in that change and that evolution and that discovery of you, it's been so beautiful. Like it's been so powerful. And how do you allow that to be so public? For a lot of people, it'd be really scary for them to be so open about their journey of their spirituality, of their relationship, of their business, of who they are. And it might be scary for them, but you've, we've been lucky enough to witness so much of it publicly what has that process been like? And have you ever been scared to share about things that you're going through? There's always going to be some fear, mm-hmm. right? You get over the fear quickly, though, when you realize that the more you share, typically the better it's received, mm-hmm. you know, and like the more honest, like the only blanket that's ever going to keep you warm is the truth. Anything else is just a constant level of exhaustion, mm-hmm. of strategizing mm-hmm. and living in the mind and always focused on this. It's like, it's how do you really drop into the art if you're constantly strategizing on what you're going to share, what you're not going to share? Mm-hmm. So, yes, it takes some courage, but also once you start doing it, you realize the great relief that comes with it. And people don't really realize that. Like, for example, we had a, we had a, a ridiculous situation happened with this music festival mm-hmm. that we were promoting. It's called Arcadia. Mm-hmm. I don't know when this is coming out, so it mm-hmm. might already be done. Mm-hmm. But fundamentally, what happened was, is we were planning to do this in, in Wyoming. And I got word from my team. And there's a guy on the ground. Then there's a festival coordinator. Then there's a team coordinator. And then there's me. I get word at 11 p.m. celebrating my anniversary with my wife that our permits for the festival have been pulled four weeks out. I was speechless. Mm -hmm. I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me. I didn't even think of this as a possible reality, right? 
next day move into move into action we still haven't gotten official communication from the town but the word was that they were having their lawyers draft a letter so i make all the moves necessary we book into meow wolf in las vegas as a backup because they have the infrastructure set up that could actually allow us to make a pivot like this Mm -hmm. so that we wouldn't have to reschedule and we're already getting crushed and a lot of the logistics were non-canceled or whatever but it was the best thing I could do to keep this thing from happening, even though it's going to be a big loss. It was going to be a big loss no matter what. So, all right, we'll keep this happening. We just move it. Find out the next day or later, like later that day as all the wheels have already been in motion and announcements have been made that the town didn't actually pull the permits and that somehow the information had gotten to me incorrectly. But there was rumors that the town was going to pull the permits and it was this whole... This whole thing where I was like, oh, wow, you got to mm-hmm. be kidding me. I already announced that the town pulled the permits. So then <laughs> ultimately, there's another situation where we're having to tell all of the ticket holders that they have to switch. And then I got to go back and say, hey, and by the way, uh, actually, the information that I told you guys was actually not true. And this wasn't true. So I said that. But then the town or somebody from the town posted a thing like, we never pulled the permits. This rumor was a lie, blah, blah, blah. And meanwhile, I was been in touch with the county clerk mm-hmm. of the town and we had an email exchange and I just took responsibility. I was like, yo, like I'm mm-hmm. really sorry. This mm-hmm. is the information that came to me. And I don't know if the rumors that they're still saying are true, only you would know. But like, this is the information I got. These were the moves that I made. And I invite all of you guys to come to our festival in Vegas if you want. And it was just radical accountability and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and she responded she's like thanks for your message and for clearing that up so anyways that someone from the town or somebody posted that they didn't actually pull the permits now i'd shared this with the group but i didn't go into like the very details Mm -hmm. of it and then there was this big thing that started like actually the permits weren't pulled and aubrey's been lying to us and this is all a secret it was all a secret plan to you know to like move this and it was a false flag and it was like and i get it we're trained to think of that (laughs) we're trained to think of that because of how dishonest the whole world is and then so some people on our team were like what should we do should we hire a pr specialist to come in and help us through this and i was like no Mm -hmm. i'm just gonna scratch out the names and i'll show the email correspondence with who I was talking to, mm-hmm. I'll tell them exactly what happened. And if that's not good enough, nothing is good enough. Yeah. Like, so that's exactly what I did. And everything quieted. Mm-hmm. And this is just one of dozens of examples when I was CEO of Onnit and there was a security breach and all of this. Like, the truth is your only, only salvation. And the more you deviate from that, mm-hmm. from strategy, with strategy, like, the more the more risk you're actually mm-hmm. taking. So yeah, it might be scary, but it's actually less scary. Mm-hmm. Is it like, you just trust the truth? Yes. Then there's nothing to fucking worry about. Mm-hmm. And if there is, if the world can't handle your truth, that's the world's problem. Mm-hmm. You know, like fundamentally, it's like, do you really want to fight that battle your whole life? Mm-hmm. Where you're, you know, no, just tell the truth. Now, that doesn't mean that there can't be certain things that are private. Mm-hmm. So let me play like the other side. There is a this idea that truth can have a temple. So like the idea of a temple, temple used to house wisdom that was for people who were ready to receive the wisdom inside the temple. And so that's what privacy is. Privacy is creating a temple. And the temple allows only the people that you want in the temple because they would trample on that information. 
And so there is a place to hold privacy of certain things, certain health conditions or certain things that are, that are happening that you want only your inner circle to really know about. And of course, all of us have that stuff. Mm. But if pressed for some other reason, and like people were storming the gates, like, I must know what's in mm-hmm. the temple. Okay, here it is. You know, like, if you, if you really like, fine. Mm-hmm. But still, like, having the permission to like hold certain things within the temple constructs, mm-hmm. I think that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the final thing that I'll address in this question is, are there things that I'm still afraid of Mm. in sharing right like are there things and again that's not considering private things there's private conversations Mm -hmm. that i have with my wife and private Mm -hmm. like of course but is there something that i'm still afraid of and yeah maybe maybe and actually not maybe but like yeah Mm -hmm. like what if this is the this is a fear like what if i keep continuing on this spiritual path and what if things get even more intensely yeah. profound, mm-hmm. right? Like, what is the history of people in Western culture? I'm already getting attacked a lot for mm-hmm. no particular reason. Like, mm-hmm. the the inherent vulnerability of stepping out even further is is intense. You know, like, the more open it seems like you get and the more you step mm-hmm. into your full authority the more vicious the attacks become. And like that's, you know, I'm 87% Jewish in my lineage, right? Like the cross is a memory in in my DNA. I'm not saying I'm going to be Jesus or anything and, or mm-hmm. nor that they're crosses, but the attacks come with pixels instead of pitchforks now, you know, and people will, the attacks hurt, you know, they, they do, they hurt. There's still some fear for what is happening and will happen as I continue to move down this path and knowing that the attacks are more vicious. And ultimately, that's about the courage to just step into, continue to trust and step into my dharma and step into my truth and and whatever comes, comes ultimately. And that's, uh, but that does require, it just requires courage and it requires the ability to, the willingness to withstand what is inevitably going to going to come because nobody nobody steps forward in a big in a big way and and people don't come for them mm-hmm. it's just the nature of our reality but mm-hmm. also yeah. there's a lot of love and a lot of transformation that's going to come mm-hmm. so better to live you know like a like a vulnerable lion than uh you know a, a quiet mouse mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's been incredibly liberating for us to watch you especially mm-hmm. i feel like in the last couple years obviously the environment that we're living in i feel like you are a leader in that sense mm-hmm. where your truth has like very palpably set you free but there is a love with which and an open heart with which you've shared your truth and i think from my perspective, it hasn't activated people to react. It's mm-hmm. activated people to open and feel that within themselves. And I know you've experienced other feedback, but it's just been really, really inspiring to say the least for us. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I was telling her last night, I was like, I feel like he's so protected. 
Like when you yeah, speak, you really I think you are anyways, but when you speak your truth, it feels, I was like, wow, there's a real, there's a clarity around when you speak your truth that like, I'd never have felt like there's, it like pierces through the people that I felt like would be really critical. Right. It's, it's cool. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. And I actually, to my, to my most serious and aggressive critics, because of that, I actually kind of give them a little nod. Mm-hmm. Like, actually, if you want to attack, if you want to attack somebody, like you're actually ahead of your time here. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like good for you for understanding that you're attacking something that's really potent because, mm-hmm. you know, the potency comes from the authenticity. Yeah. Right. So like if you're going to try and tear down, which is what that parasitic nature is, let's tear down that which is good and then put it underneath us so that we can elevate our own brand and status mm-hmm. somehow. Like those people who are like really getting aggressive with me already, it's almost like you're you're a good scout. You know, like <laughs> I haven't even I've hardly <laughs> even started, but you're already you're already on the path. Like you know, you're I like, buckle take, up, baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's gonna be a long ride. Yeah, for sure. You like become friends with them. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For start sure. a DM. You're like, I'm about to drop some heater. <laughs> Get ready. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. No and doubt. I feel like in the expression of your truth, you've also like become, and I would assume that you've always been, but an artist mm. in a way mm. that I feel mm. like has been so refreshing you know i feel like we've lost the artist in all of us mm-hmm. like i really believe that we are all artists mm-hmm. and there's like a track in life that we're put on and we're expected to be following and it really does dull that spark within us to create spontaneously and just in an inspired way what has your relationship been with the artist within you has it always been super potent and strong or has it been more recent Mm. well there the first philosophy that i ever resonated with was toltec philosophy Mm -hmm. so it started with castaneda moved quickly to don miguel ruiz Mm -hmm. and so i went deep into that philosophy the toltec philosophy and they have two different words to describe you know individuals Everybody on the basic level is tonal, which just means they're letting life happen to themselves. Mm. But the idea of a Toltec, you know, initiate or master is to become what's called a Nagual. Mm. And a Nagual is the painter who's painting the masterpiece of their life and who's really like taking the authority to actually create their own story, grabbing the pen of their destiny and writing their own story. And it's that place of both radical responsibility, which is scary. You know, it's easy to leave things up to some other force, but to say like, no, this is my mm-hmm. pen. And like, I'm creating my own reality and my own story. And the word for, you know, Nagwell is artist. Like mm-hmm. that's actually how they described it. So that's an important theme for me. And what I think the most significant transformation is, is to really understand what they were getting at. Because mm-hmm. it's easy to say artist. Oh, well, I'm a poet. You know, I put words together in a, in a rhythmic way that illuminate the truth, words that illuminate something that isn't even described in the words, a feeling, an idea, a sense, an emotion. That's it's really what poetry does or some piece of documentary or whatever else, mm-hmm. like creating something like that or a book. But really, the thing I have to keep reminding myself is I am the most important piece of art. I am the piece of art to make into a masterpiece. 
And then everything I do will be a window into an amazing piece of art, you know, and that's, mm. that's really been like a refocus of that understanding. And I think it's an invitation for all of us is to look at ourselves mm -hmm. as the most significant art that we'll ever produce. I've been looking for a gynecologist here in the city or in Brooklyn, and immediately I went to ZocDoc. It's a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. I feel like if when I'm searching for a doctor, for a physician, it's usually one or more of those things that are taking a long time. Usually it's like, do they take my insurance? Or are they even available for when I can go? Um, are they even good? And so ZocDoc covers all three bases. Okay. So you know what you're looking for in a doctor. And so there's no better way to filter through than ZocDoc. The people who created ZocDoc found the major pain points in healthcare, all the things that weren't working and said enough. So they made booking a great doctor surprisingly pain-free and I will attest to it. So go to ZocDoc.com, choose a time slot and whether you want to see the doctor in person or do a virtual visit. And just like that, you are booked. Okay, ZocDoc.com slash almost 30. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash almost 30 and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's ZocDoc.com slash almost 30. Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash almost 30. So if we think about ourselves as art, you know, there's the one side where it's like, I am going to allow myself to channel the divine and create this beautiful masterpiece led by love and led by the truth of what this piece is supposed to be. And then there's sometimes in our personal growth and development space, the self-love and the self-hate is such a fine line where it's like, I'm continuing to work on myself, not because I actually love myself, but because I hate myself and because I want to change myself. And even if we're looking at the piece, it's like, how could some people, and I think some people take this where it's like continuing to fine tune or refine or change a piece that was already created by God. But as it relates to the darkness, that was something I was thinking about is like for someone from watching from the outside, some people might be like, that doesn't seem like self-love to me to go into the darkness and to do the ceremonies that you do and to do some of the things that you do. It feels like torture or it feels like pain. So what is that relationship that you have between doing these things that are actually acts of self-love but are deeply uncomfortable, dark and experiential? <laughs> the heights of ecstasy that are available in the revelation of the truth of who we are is what people would be underestimating when they look at these journeys that are hard, right? Like actually to get to the most radical states of love and the most radical bliss that you can experience from merger with the divine energy that experience is available by going through some really challenging stuff often not always not always and sometimes it can be pleasurable the whole way and i think those arts are too very important like the tantric path mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know like every part of the tantric path is delightful. <laughs> it's all delightful. 
and then it culminates in orgasm, which is incredibly delightful, mm-hmm. right? So it doesn't always have to be hard, and, and it's not always, and it isn't always hard. We set the intention for a ceremony with our friends in Sedona, and the intention was laughter. Mm. That was the entire goal of the ceremony. So we took some psilocybin, and the goal was laughter. How much can we laugh? And we succeeded. <laughs> we succeeded. And also some incredibly profound things emerged from it. So I do think that sometimes people fetishize mm. the the darkness because they feel like mm-hmm. in order to mm. deserve happiness or deserve these feelings, they have to pay for it. And this is like a belief that... It's the hell I, to get to heaven. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a belief that we have. And it's often true, but it doesn't always have to be true. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, like, people feel like they need to learn from the pain teacher. Mm-hmm. Well, the love teacher mm-hmm. teaches actually oftentimes better than the pain teacher. So there's many ways to learn. And I've learned from both of them. That's the key. I don't think it's, I don't think it's possible to entirely avoid learning from the pain mm-hmm. teacher. But... There's many, many ways to learn. And I think that's something that people don't realize. It's like, choose how you want to learn. You got to learn. Mm-hmm. Like one way or another, you got to learn. But there's some paths that are going to be inherently more delightful than other paths. But to me, I've just been kind of available to all the paths. Because mm-hmm. I know that I know that steadily my ability to access the most pleasurable states that I've ever experienced in my life are becoming more and more available the more that I continue down this path. So that's the result that I've seen in my own life. Mm -hmm. Has your perspective on people in your life changed perspective of their own path of learning and growth? As I've done more work and have experienced these revelations, I see my parents' path of growth differently and have come to almost a more like peaceful understanding that my own unique path can be a little bit lonely. I I guess what I'm kind of getting at is like the desire to be like doing this with others, Mm -hmm. you know, and really wanting the people that we love to be also experiencing these consistent learnings and growth moments, but it's just not what is true. How have you come to terms with the different rates at which people in your life have chosen or their souls have chosen to grow in this life? Because yours is very fast. the, (laughs) (laughs) The desire to change somebody else is ultimately going to lead to a lot of frustration. Mm -hmm. That's, really, really a difficult Mm. thing. What you have to shift that to is providing a constant invitation. And the invitation is the growth that you're experiencing, right? If you go to your parents with the same energy that you've had with your parents for the last 10 years and try to convince them to do some new thing that you've discovered, but the energy that they're receiving from you is the same that it's always been, why would they do it? Mm-hmm. All they're seeing is the same thing. So you're like, it was so profound. But meanwhile, the underlying energy and mm-hmm. resentments and feelings that you have to them are the same. That's not going to convince them to do anything. 
In fact, they're actually going to say like, well, that shit obviously didn't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're the exact same mm-hmm. they've always been. Mm-hmm. You know, like our relationship hasn't changed, but you show up in a radically different energy mm-hmm. and just allow that to be the invitation. Allow them to go like, wow, you seem really happy. Mm-hmm. Like, what have you been doing? You're like, what? Like, you're so loving right now. Like, it's really inspiring. Like, tell me more. You know, that's what actually, mm-hmm. that's what actually facilitates the change and you can't you can't fake it mm-hmm. you can't do that to like put on a show to show them something that isn't real it's got to be real mm-hmm. and that that living invitation for others is probably the most powerful thing we can do and, and then also just accepting people where they are it has to come from acceptance because the trying creates resistance like mm-hmm. naturally when you have a tug of when you tug somebody the the instinct is to tug back every animal knows mm-hmm. tug of war mm-hmm. you put a rope in a dog's mouth and start to pull what does mm-hmm. the dog do pulls back it just it, we know that mm-hmm. we know that in our in our it's fucking deeply coded so you're pulling somebody they're going to pull back so don't pull them you know mm-hmm. just in, just invite them just like a, if again with the dog analogy you start playing and then the dog's going to join you in play. You know, that's also something that's like, a, it's, we understand this on an animal level, mm-hmm. you know, and we just get it confused as humans. And I think it's also like a comfort within oneself. I think sometimes there is that need to bring people along for that validation piece, mm-hmm. for that, I think what we were talking about earlier with like placing the divinity in others and really, yeah, it's, I love how you described that being the invitation. You living your life is the invitation. It's just much less of this grabbiness Mm -hmm. and this needing. And it's really like softening within the self. It's really, really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was thinking about the law of one because you know, when we see other people on our paths in the law of one, it says the creator blinks neither at the light or the dark. And it's like, when we're looking at other people, we're like, they're learning from so much pain. There is another way. You know, we're like, there is a way of learning from joy. And we're always like, God, wanting them to be on the path of learning from joy. Mm. But it's like, that's kind of their path in conversation with the creator where it's like, oh, I'm going to go back and I'm going to learn by being in as much pain as possible. You know, being in as much agony as possible. But have you ever had heartbreak on your journey of being someone that evolves so quickly and changes and really has these deep transformational experiences where you are shedding new skin, you're dying, you're being rebirthed, and you've had to leave people behind or you've had people sort of vibrate out of your life? Have you ever had heartbreak because you are no longer in relationship with people because of the speed at which you grow? Uh, No. Wow. Oh, my gosh. But I also, okay, so I'll, I'll tell you more about that. But mm-hmm. I, I have to go back to something that you're saying mm-hmm. because I think there's some mm-hmm. danger on that mm-hmm. understanding, right? Because mm-hmm. if you take it that everybody's just learning in the way they've chosen mm-hmm. in the soul contract with the divine, mm-hmm. it almost bypasses the real pain. Mm-hmm. Like pain is real. Mm-hmm. In some spiritual teachings and circles, Mm -hmm. we can try to bypass that pain Mm -hmm. because actually we can't bear Mm -hmm. to recognize that that pain is real Mm -hmm. or we kind of blame it on karma or we, Mm -hmm. oh, well, they must have done something in the past. Like we try to find some rationalization. Mm -hmm. No, it's outrageous pain. Yeah, Mm -hmm. It's devastating, Mm -hmm. crushing. 
outrageous pain. Mm -hmm. It is. Mm -hmm. It's important to know that that's real. Mm -hmm. And then, so if you know that you, we know that that's real. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. the desire to want that to be different Mm -hmm. is natural. Mm -hmm. Now we can't, we can't bear it. Yeah. We can't bear it. Like even trying to touch it for a moment, mm-hmm. almost like I want to break down on this podcast, right? It's like, it's so much. Mm-hmm. The pain is so real. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy to say like, well, that's their choice. And that's mm-hmm. how they, no, there's been systems in place, distortions mm-hmm. in place. You don't learn from distortion. Mm-hmm. Distortion is the antithesis of, yes, eventually you can kind of learn from distortion, but distortion is distorting your understanding and that's where so much of the pain Mm -hmm. comes from it comes from distortion at different levels Mm -hmm. distortion the primary distortion being the myth of separation as charles Mm -hmm. eisenstein would say but there's different words for it in different Mm -hmm. ancient contexts as well but the distortion that we are we are actually fully separate from each other Mm -hmm. which is a distortion that's been Mm -hmm. around so the desire to correct the distortion that's I think that's a very real and important mm-hmm. desire is to, is to correct the distortion to alleviate the pain. This mm-hmm. is the essence of the bodhisattva. Mm-hmm. Like a monk might go to the mountaintop and say, everybody's learning in just the right way yeah. that they are. And I'm just going to go on this mountain and meditate. And that's, mm-hmm. and that's fine if that's your path. But the bodhisattva says, I could do that. But I feel the pain is real from mm-hmm. everybody else in the world. And so I'm going to go down and meet them in their pain and help to clear the distortion they have so that they can actually mm-hmm. experience the beauty of what this is all about. Because mm-hmm. we do want, it's like we would want the same from ourselves. Yeah. Like we want, we want mm-hmm. to move ourselves from pain and distortion to truth and love. Mm-hmm. So of course we want that for other people. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important to yeah. like recognize that and not bypass yeah. how very real the pain yeah. is and how we can all can play a role in clearing the distortion. Mm-hmm. There will always be pain. And then for the pain that is always there and always exists, I mean, we're in a temporal world where people are going to die and it's always going to hurt and mm-hmm. our bodies will take wounds and accidents will happen and all kinds of shit's going to happen. Some pain is unavoidable. And then the, the willingness to learn from that pain is also very important. We're all mm-hmm. going to have challenging experiences with lovers we have to say goodbye to and people that were no longer part of our life that's always going to be hard. Just wanted to kind of yeah. and double when, click on that. Even when you like get in that, you know, even just seeing that experience of you feeling that pain for that moment where your eyes were watering and watching you tap into that energy of that deep, horrifying pain that so many people experience. I feel so deeply, like the way that I feel so oceanic, it's hard to, it's hard to even tap into that and then still exist in the world and you're getting emotional and I am too, but so how do we live then? Like how, I guess I've been even working on that this year. I'm like, how do I feel as deeply, see so much illusion, see so much distortion and still be here in service to my own authentic code and to God? Like what's that journey? It's important to feel it. It's important to feel it. Real. It's 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 an honor. It's an honor to those who are hurting mm. to feel our pain and feel our own pain. Shaman Aubrey is here. <laughs> it's important. It needs to be felt. And 
the beautiful thing is, is that your body will know when it's felt it enough. Your body, you'll know. But without that, you don't, you can't recalibrate. You, mm-hmm. The world doesn't make sense. You're, you're, they're living your life in an illusion, mm-hmm. an illusion that requires justifications. Mm-hmm. But to feel it, and it's, uh, it's important. Yeah. I think there's ways in which we feel like somehow we, we would need to do it all the time. Yeah. We don't. Mm-hmm. We just need to be able to connect to it. Mm-hmm. And then that, that actually drives the fuel that we need to actually do everything else that we need to do. Mm-hmm. And because the response, as Mark Gaffney, who I've been mm-hmm. studying his work deeply, he says like the response to outrageous pain is outrageous love. Mm-hmm. You know, so we have to move into the, vibra- in the vibration of love to actually change, mm-hmm. to actually help anybody. But first we have to feel the people that we're going to help. So we feel, and that gives us the motivation to help. And then when we're ready to help, then it's outrageous love, mm-hmm. outrageous love. And love has to come from the opening of the heart in a different frequency. And we want a world of joy, be in joy. You want a world mm-hmm. of forgiveness, mm-hmm. forgive. You want a world of love, love. You want a world of bliss, be in bliss. Like that's the only way. It's the law of resonance, mm-hmm. old hermetic principle, the law mm-hmm. of resonance. Like, mm-hmm. like attracts like. So we can't stay in the pain and the sadness forever. We'll just create more pain and sadness. Mm. We need to feel it to give us the motivation and then alchemize our mm. own energy into something more positive and draw that world into our own reality. Mm-hmm. That feeling of oneness that I think we've forgotten and when it comes rushing in, it is mm-hmm. it almost dissolves everything that we think kind of Mm -hmm. makes up what our world is, the separateness in so many ways. I think in the work that we do and that you do, I'll just speak for us, like the, there have been so many moments where we've had that opportunity to fully be in the oneness with one another, especially when we're in person with people. And I think because we identify as leaders, Mm -hmm. as podcasters, all the labels that we put on, there is kind of this tightening around the heart that happens, at least for me sometimes, Mm -hmm. where I'm like, I have to maintain that. What would it mean to kind of soften into this true cellular understanding that Mm -hmm. we are all one? Mm -hmm. And I really think it's a practice to allow yourself to do that. And how do you practice or how do you make this a part of your everyday because you're busy. Mm -hmm. You have a lot Mm. going on. There's a lot of structure and scheduling and and things that need to get done. What are the soft points in your day where you allow Mm -hmm. yourself to feel? Yeah. Well, just to close one loop before I I jump into that, the reason I don't worry about people that I've evolved out of our friendships mm-hmm. and out of our life is that I've moved out of resonance with them. Mm-hmm. So my desire to be with them is no longer present. Mm-hmm. I'm just out of, yeah. I'm, I'm out of resonance. Mm-hmm. So mad love, but mm-hmm. we're just not resonating mm-hmm. at the same level. Doesn't mean that there aren't certain types of relationships that it's 
sad to let go of, especially romantic relationships, mm-hmm. right? You don't always have to be fully out of resonance. Mm-hmm. Like I remember one former girlfriend who's, you know, not in a place where she's can be friends. Mm-hmm. And I really miss our friendship. We mm-hmm. used to laugh a lot. You know, like I really, really miss our friendship. Mm-hmm. And you know, I hope I hope it comes back, and and that's that's a that's a separate situation. Mm-hmm. But those are the only things that mm-hmm. really there because I know there's still resonance there. I mm-hmm. know that we would still mm-hmm. be laughing mm-hmm. now, and we just can't. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, mm-hmm. which is I think a very good question, a lot of times we try to solve a problem like that with the same tools that mm-hmm. got us in this situation in the first place. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go soften my heart. <laughs> I'm going to go do mm-hmm. it and I'm going to spend, I'm going to block out this amount of time mm-hmm. on my schedule, 20 Screw minutes of heart softening. <laughs> yeah, literally. And we're going to go at it like, super hard. Like this is hard. my cry time. <laughs> yeah, we're going to go at it super hard. And yeah. this is our, this is our, it's funny, the word atonement, mm. you know, really can be re-understood as at one mm-hmm. you know, and it's like an interesting way mm-hmm. to like, reframe that as like atonement at one minute you know so having these moments of at one minute and you know atonement carries a lot of guilt connotations mm-hmm. and i think that's why it's great to yeah. shift that into something a lot more positive having it as part of this like regimented young masculine expression of how that happens is probably not the way to go about it mm-hmm. i think it's about you know really actually softening universally everything and just allowing the lines to soften allowing the heart to open Mm -hmm. it's really hard to like tell your heart to open Mm -hmm. it just doesn't really i haven't found a way to do that but like Mm -hmm. the more you Mm -hmm. soften and the more you just love the more that you'll see the walls of your heart are actually softening Mm -hmm. and that the boundaries are actually softening and so it gets easier the veil gets thinner and that's kind of the place. But it's also, we also live in a, in a world, a separate self world as well. That, mm-hmm. like, that's the thing. You have to be able to embrace paradox mm-hmm. to be able to make it out of this thing alive, mm-hmm. which is we're all one and we're all not. Mm-hmm. Both mm-hmm. are true. It depends on your dimensional purview. What dimension are we talking about? Mm-hmm. Talking about first, ninth, sure. Mm-hmm. All one. But anything else than that, we're talking about something different. That's the challenge is we're a multidimensional being trying to use language to describe a single dimension and it always fails. So that's why we have to embrace paradox. Yeah, you're all one and, and yeah, you're not. That's the nature of the game. So it's not about saying that <sighs> there's some ways that you can claim that only one reality is true, but I think that's actually missing the point. Mm-hmm. I think the point is that all realities are true. And in the truth of all realities is the total truth. But I think there's a lot of hierarchy that we place. Like, well, the only truth is that we're all one and we're all Mm -hmm. light. Okay, well then how come you can catch a ball that I throw to you? That's not true. Like the anthro-ontological, the ability to understand something from the very nature, we know that's not true. So that's why it doesn't stick. Everybody's saying like, yeah, it's it's all a simulation. We're in a holographic mm-hmm. universe. All right, sure. You can use that mm-hmm. language if you want, but you know this is real. <laughs> don't tell me that you don't feel it. Mm-hmm. You can talk all that bullshit, but then watch yourself get in a fight with your partner mm-hmm. and tell me that it's all a hologram. Mm-hmm. You know, like watch mm-hmm. someone cry. 
get inspired in a movie. Tell me, tell me it's all a hologram. You're full of shit. Mm-hmm. Full of shit. Because you know that that's not true. And it is true. And so it's about like mm-hmm. holding the paradox of the multidimensional nature of our reality. And I think that's where a lot of people get tripped up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think with the simulation thing, I'm like, well, does this make me feel more hopeful or less hopeful? I'm like, less hopeful. I'm like, I'm going to leave that aside because it's an interesting thing to like explore and think about. But there's so much of the we don't matter in that. Exactly. Like nothing yeah. matters where it's like, huh, how helpful is that sort yes. of experience of the simulation? But I want to talk about like the masculine and the feminine. And mm-hmm. what is your recent experience with the feminine? Because I feel like you've been such a beautiful example exploring over the years, the balance between the masculine and feminine, even the feminine in yourself. But what is the latest version, especially with your wife, experience of the feminine? Like, mm-hmm. what has that felt like noticing it with you and then with her as well? So I've had a very public journey in my relationship history and I'm glad that I brought people along on that journey. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it took me into the wild, open water sea of polyamory. Mm -hmm. And that's a hell of a way to learn. You know, it's the heights of ecstasy and also the deepest, most challenging, gut-wrenching despair and jealousy and pain Mm -hmm. that I've felt, you know, really has come out of that experience. And looking back, I'm like grateful for all of it, honestly. Yeah. Super grateful that, you know, Whitney said yes to going on that journey with me. And, mm-hmm. and you know, we really did our best. We gave it hell. I think I've been fortunate from the start that I had such an amazing relationship with my mother and my grandmother. I think that's really, really important to establish your relationship with the feminine mm-hmm. as the parent of the opposite sex and like what that relationship is how healthy it is because I've always had like a deep reverence for the feminine. I mean, I got my grandma tattooed on this arm and yeah. And one day I'll have my mom tattooed on, you know, the bottom part of this arm. Mm -hmm. And so I've always had like a, a beautiful orientation. Now that got frustrated a little bit when I was in high school and in middle school because I so desperately wanted to be loved and in love with the feminine and at that age that when I really liked somebody I would really like do everything I was like (laughs) writing them poems and I was like being like like super trying to be all romantic and like and that doesn't really work at the high school level. Don't I don't know. I they're don't like, know ignore it, me, okay? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Throw paper at me. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that was really, I didn't understand that. And mm-hmm. that got really frustrating. And But what would happen, <laughs> what would happen was then the person who, like, I didn't really have a crush on would be, like, mm-hmm. looking at me from the side and I wouldn't be paying as much attention. And they'd be like, Aubrey, I love you. And I'd be like, Oh, okay. Like, <laughs> totally. I guess I'm down with this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, Such a lover. I'm getting, like, they're getting, I'm getting ignored by everybody who I'm like, going after, but you seem cool. <laughs> like, you like me and that's cool. <laughs> yeah, that's important. That works. That's important. Did you know that the drugs we take to manage period cramps were invented in the 1950s and exclusively tested on men? <laughs> what? It's literally outrageous that there hasn't been more innovation when it comes to periods. 
Deloon is changing that with dietitian formulated solutions that relieve our symptoms while actually supporting cycle health. Because our cycles affect every aspect of our wellness, period pain, mood, sleep, skin, metabolism, energy, and more. I, I don't know about you, but you know, some some months I'm like, oh my gosh, like everything has to stop, but it really can't because I'm experiencing, you know, really bad cramps or headaches, fatigue, you, bloating, you name it. I've really tried a lot of things and while I think I've gotten most of my symptoms under control, it doesn't mean they still don't happen and kind of disrupt my flow. So I was really excited to find Deloon and recommend it to a lot of my friends. And they have been absolutely loving it. I was talking to a friend the other day that experienced like really, really bad periods, cramps, and just all these symptoms. And she was so happy uh, to try Deloon. She's noticed that her symptoms have subsided. They don't last as long. They're not as intense. And she can really just be in her life, which is really nice. So Deloon Nutritional Solutions are dietitian formulated to work with your cycle health, not against it. It'll help you all month long while also relieving your cramps and PMS during your period. Deloon creates effective drug-free supplements for period cramps, PMS, and optimal cycle health. So you can get the relief you need naturally, which I'm all about, and start feeling like your best self. So if you want high potency, fast acting supplements for your period cramps, PMS, and really getting your cycle health in its prime top condition, like 92% of their customers report that relief, try Deloon. Leave bad periods behind and start the new year off with 23% off. Go to cyclehealth.com slash almost 30 and use the code almost 30 to get 23% off plus free shipping. If Deloon isn't the right match for you, your money back is guaranteed. That's cyclehealth.com slash almost 30 and use the code almost 30 to get 23% off plus free shipping. You know, I had some, I had some really nice relationships mm -hmm. that way, but there was like a, this kind of frustration of like, I don't get it. Like, mm -hmm. what do I need to do? Mm -hmm. And I was like captain of my basketball team. I was like doing all the things that I thought would make me like mm -hmm. appealing. But what I realized is that fundamentally, and this, this may be not exactly where you're going with the question, but I fundamentally realized that what people really want is there's a couple of things that I can mention. For one, when you treat someone better than they treat themselves, there's going to be a differential that's a dissonance between what they're viewing from you and what they think of mm. with reality. So people don't like assholes. People like people who treat them like they treat themselves. Mm -hmm. That's it. So if you think that assholes win, no, they don't. They just attract people who treat themselves like an asshole because it's the law of resonance. Again, mm -hmm. old hermetic principle, Hermes Trismegistus, who was actually quite likely the Egyptian god Thoth, mm -hmm. right? Like, ancient fucking wisdom that's coming in through these hermetic principles, Hermes Trismegistus, and the, the name Hermes, the god of wit. All of this is coming from old, old sources. And I'm, you know, reading, getting deeper into this through the Kabbalion and, and different other sources, which is really beautiful and mind-blowing. But it's, it's the law of resonance, right? And that's all that was. Hmm. I was treating them better than they were treating themselves. It didn't really work until you find someone who really treats themselves well, and then you're like... 
you're a fucking goddess. And they're like, <laughs> I know. Right on. Let's party. You know, <laughs> yes. like, you see me. You see me. Yes. You know what I mean? And yes. so, like, that's the thing. So, that was obviously beyond my comprehension at the time, you know? So, you can try to play games with it. And I think mm-hmm. this is what all the pickup artist whole nonsense mm-hmm. was. It was a lot about how to game the system. Mm-hmm. And it's all black magic and it doesn't mm-hmm. it's not that black magic doesn't work but it's don't fucking play with black magic like it's not it's not fucking worth it it's not ethical by any stretch of the imagination so that's not the way to do it you just trust that you'll attract people who treat themselves like you treat them but be real you know the moment mm-hmm. you actually put somebody on a pedestal which is beyond what they actually are they'll also call bullshit like if you treat someone like they're perfect in all ways then they'll know that you're not seeing them correctly, right? And you can do this with male or female people. Like the moment somebody like puts you on a pedestal, like you are not the human that you know you are, even if you love the shit out of yourself, but they're treating you like a god or like beyond what you really are, they're like some perfect being. And you'll be like, ah, well, they don't really get it. Mm-hmm. You know, so again, it's resonance. It's like seeing people for who they are and what they are and clearing off all of the other bullshit and really seeing them as they are and being in, in honesty with how that is. And that applies obviously a lot more in my friendships now mm-hmm. than it does in anything else, but it allows, it creates like a lot of beautiful compatibility with whoever it is. You know, like recently did a podcast with Guru Dev Sri Sri Ravi Shankar here and in the studio and Lots of people treat him appropriately like a guru. You know, he's a guru. And I have all of that same respect for him, but I had a conversation with him like he was a friend. He just lit up in the conversation, right? Mm -hmm. And and it's like the ability to just, regardless of who it is, see them and just acknowledge them for who they are and love them for who they are and, and really see that. And I think that's key in relationships in its entirety. You know, I'm fortunate, like I said, that I didn't have a lot of baggage with the feminine because I was so deeply loved, mm-hmm. you know, as close to unconditionally loved by my mom and my grandma as, as anything. The polyamory path was really a way for me to learn to transcend, at least try to transcend the jealousy that's patterned into mm-hmm. our culture. It's like a deeply ingrained pattern mm-hmm. that, you know, you learn just from society. and and. You know, I used to think that the justification for it was beyond enculturation and indoctrination Mm -hmm. by culture. And I used to make examples of lions or bulls or some other mammalian creature who will fight to the death to protect their breeding rights. But then you realize that our closest relative is the bonobo. Mm -hmm. And they have a totally different structure where everybody's just like, you get in an argument with someone, like you have oral sex with them and then you (laughs) sort it out. Like that's, that's the, the new that's, that's the new way. That's the, that's the bonobo Out way. polyamory and yeah. oral sex is everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got a little beef. Yeah, yeah it's you like know, kind of just a little out. sucky sucky. Yeah. A few licks, you're a few licks away <laughs> from getting good. back in resonance. <laughs> but like, so it realized that it was just yeah. culture, you know, mm-hmm. it's just a way. And, and I was never able, you know, with all my work and all my spiritual access and all the tools that I had, I was never able to fully transcend that level of still that jealousy like it still hurt when whitney would fall in love or be in a sexually voracious relationship with somebody else like fuck Mm -hmm. it's like it was too deep 
but nonetheless, it was great practice mm-hmm. and like a beautiful way to understand. And also the ability to just love so many different other people. You know, I had the freedom. Actually, the fact that I was able to maintain the closeness that I was with Vailana without a bunch of jealousy and, and a bunch of other issues and a bunch of challenges that would have come. Because Vailana and I were friends. And for those of you who don't know, I'm married to Vailana and happier than I've ever been. But we wouldn't have been able to keep that relationship at that level of depth if it wasn't for the polyamorous container mm. that we had. Now, we weren't intimate during that time, but we were free. We were free mm-hmm. to like, I was free to have that friendship. And then I was at the point where the arc of polyamory, I realized like, I can't overcome this. And I see the beauty in it, but it's not for this consciousness of this time, mm. like maybe 40 years from now or whatever, yeah. or in certain pockets that might really work. Mm-hmm. But in my experience, it was just too deep. It was mm-hmm. the the pain and the programming was too deep to overcome. And so entering into, you know, the sacred union with Vailana, I was really ready. You know, I was really ready to to step into that, knowing that I'd been down every path. And the other path that people take is just the path of dishonest infidelity. Mm-hmm. It's a fucking nightmare. Like that's not an option, never been an option. So understanding that that i've really tried it all and then now i've found this person that i just love so so much and then exploring how to navigate the challenges that can come from a monogamous relationship in novel ways Mm -hmm. and that's something that i think also people misunderstand because we are also hardwired to be drawn into presence Like the beautiful part Mm -hmm. about meeting somebody new and and going out with them is the novelty of that experience makes you radically present. Mm -hmm. Like when you're with somebody for like the first time or it's like, let's say it was one of my other, one of my other partners where I hadn't seen Whitney in a long time. Like you don't even fucking think about going on your phone. Mm -hmm. You don't care. Like every word they say, you're like God to them. Mm -hmm. You're like, tell me more. Mm-hmm. I want to tell you this. And like, <laughs> let's have a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. What time should we go to bed? Who fucking cares? <laughs> totally. You know, like you're in that, but then you get in a relationship where you're with them every day and it's like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, okay, yeah, good. And you're kind of half checking your phone and like, want to have some wine? Like, yeah, I don't want to feel over in the morning. Yeah, we should probably go to bed. Should we watch a movie? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll probably mm-hmm. fall asleep. Whereas otherwise, it's mm-hmm. like, should we make popcorn? What yes. about if we did peanut butter and jelly yeah. popcorn? You think that would be fun? And you're it. like, yeah, let's do it. You know, so it's the, that's why it's people the, love travel so much. It's that novelty right. of new experience. Novelty is something that we're hardwired to enjoy. Yeah. Yes. And, and so it's like, how do you find novelty yeah. in the same partnership? You know, and so lots of people have approached this question. Like, I mean, I remember listening to a talk from Esther Perel, mm-hmm. and she was saying like you know, wear wigs and wear dress up and all this thing. And I was like, what do you think about that? It doesn't fucking work. <laughs> yeah, you're like, you're like trying to wig. You're like, I don't know, work. man. I mean, it's, kinda, <laughs> it's like kind of novel. I know. But it's not really that novel, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's like that. Yeah, how many times are you going to pull that move? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like there's Completely. only a certain amount of times mm-hmm. that you can like trick the brain and it's the energy too there's a novelty of energy when someone's kind of shifted an energy or there's a different energy so if you're in a wig and it's you it's still like (laughs) yeah (laughs) you're just like yeah because you because we're sensing a lot more than just the visual yeah yes so those like cheap hacks for novelty like go for it wear Mm -hmm. wigs do whatever you want but 
that's not really going to get there. And really what I've found is the place to find novelty is at the depth. Mm-hmm. Like we as people are an ocean that goes mm-hmm. deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And if you can find the ways to connect with that person at ever greater levels of depth, then that's where you'll find the novelty. Mm-hmm. You find novelty not in breadth, but in depth. Mm-hmm. And that's the secret to monogamy is finding novelty at depth. Mm-hmm. Can you give us an example of what that looks like for you both? Mm-hmm. So take the medicine space mm-hmm. for an, as an example, yeah. right? Like. As you continue on this path with full intention, you're going to reach levels of depth that are deeper and deeper and deeper within yourself. And as you reach those levels deeper within yourself, your partner is going to have access to a level deeper inside you than has ever been before. Mm -hmm. And that will be novel. They will be a new person reborn a new time. So the more times you go through this process, the, the more you're reborn in a different way. I remember for Vi's birthday which we just had in Sedona you know she's been moving through a big death cycle Mm -hmm. this big death portal that she'd been going through and she emerged out of it and she was this expression of this hilarious character that was like (laughs) performing like twerk karate for like two hours straight all of us were just looking at each other like whoa like what is even going on you know, it was like, it was magnificent. And she's watched me like transform into different characters or open in different ways. And and I think the the transformational process has allowed that. It's mm-hmm. just allowed us to deepen into even deeper levels of ourself. And then as we relate to each other from those deeper levels. So that's one way. The other way is through intentional tantric practices. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a practice that we created called the Rainbow Sutras, which goes through different sutras which are designed to access depth at different levels all the way from the very sexual to Mm -hmm. just eye gazing and synchronized breathing Mm -hmm. and different practices like that so those are some of the different technologies that you can use to get there but typically you need some kind of technology to help you get there whether it's the tantric Mm -hmm. technologies which is designed to help you like go deeper and deeper and deeper tan meaning to expand to like expand the moment and that's another way to look at tantric work is like expanding the Mm -hmm. the presence of the moment Mm -hmm. so like imagine imagine a bumblebee like just imagine a bumblebee Mm -hmm. kind of interesting we see them all the time we hardly pay attention that's like we are with our lover it's like a bumblebee Mm -hmm. that we see and it's in its normal size but then imagine like a microscope and it zooms into the furry lion's mm-hmm. mane that it has above its head and the in the mm-hmm. eyes that's in its myopic glory and mm-hmm. the different ways in which all of the legs and the wings are iridescent and you're like wow it just expanded the same thing into a way that you could really see it mm-hmm. and then go even deeper and you'll see the cellular structure and how the atoms are bonded imagine going even deeper all the way down to the way that the electrons are spinning in the quantum creation of this and you'd be looking all the way down to god all the way through so there's like the levels of depth that you can go just to use like this visual metaphor is you can see that in a person Mm -hmm. you can see depth upon depth upon depth expand upon expand upon expand so those practices are really Mm -hmm. really powerful as well it was fascinating to to be a witness to your experience in polyamory because I was like, in my head, I'm like, is he going to be able to, like, not is he going to be able to do this, but is he going to be able to really crack that part of 
the human experience of jealousy, of feeling like less than because of another lover, of feeling mm -hmm. these very human experiences. I was like, whoa, is he going to be able to do it? Because there is, when you spoke about, you know, love is infinite, we should be able to have it with everyone. I was like, <laughs> yes, bitch, it is infinite. And I'm like, let's see. I was like, I'm going to keep my Except eyes on my you. husband. <laughs> yeah, literally. I was like, love is infinitely in this space. <laughs> no, but it was, I was like, whoa, this is, so it was, it was a beautiful experience even to witness, I think, as like an outsider and watch all of this. And now it's been so beautiful to see you and your wife just mm -hmm. so happy and in this depth of beauty and even just a witness of her to see her just sort of blossom in yeah. your love mm -hmm. as like a foundation of the experience. For anyone listening, most of our audience is women. So for the women listening, what is a way in which they can invite the masculine in on their process of their journey? You know, if she's, there's someone that maybe isn't as open to you and understanding as you, and maybe they're wanting to have these transformation, these death rebirth experiences of the feminine that we often have, but they're wanting to invite their partner in, in a way that feels like an invitation rather than like a way to shame or create separation. This is a very good question. And I think you're tapped into something that is very much in the zeitgeist. A mm -hmm. lot of women are more ready and eager to tap into mm -hmm. their spiritual potential mm -hmm. than men are. Now, that doesn't, it's not universal. Like with Fit for Service, it's pretty even, 50-50 across the board. But my audience is 60-40 men. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I have to assume that with that being even, it's probably 60-40 from, or whatever. I don't, I don't know what it actually is, but it doesn't matter. But it does definitely does seem that we also get from women more questions of, hey, I would really love my partner to be a mm -hmm. part of this, but I just can't get him interested. Now, we do get the, the converse as well. So it's not like a, its own thing. There's a lot of men there like, I just wish my partner would be interested in doing breath work or doing medicine journeys or doing this stuff. So I do see it both ways. So it does apply universally. I think the same principles of being the living invitation applies. I think the same principles of if you tug, they'll tug back. I think that applies. I remember, so I'll give an honest example for me because it's very difficult to extrapolate mm -hmm. in the, just in the general, in yeah. the abstract, rather than taking it to something personal, mm -hmm. right? Mm. So Whitney invited me to do alongside her a year-long course with Layla Martin, who's mm -hmm. one of the leading yeah, she's tantric. Been on the pod. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's fucking awesome mm -hmm. and a good friend. I mm -hmm. love Layla. I've gotten to know her a lot better in the last few years. I didn't know her so well back then. And I was like, eh, nah, mm -hmm. I don't know. It sounds like, I don't know, sounds like unnecessary amount of amount Sign. of stuff that I <laughs> don't want to do. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's that was just a feeling, and obviously it's not that. It would have been a it would have been a hell of a ride to go on, mm -hmm. and I wasn't ready to do it at that point. So, she didn't understand how to how to properly like allure me mm -hmm. into it. So there's invitation, and then there's allurement. Invitation is by itself an allurement, mm -hmm. but to to allure me into it, I think you have to have an understanding of what the person really wants. Mm. You know, like what did I really want? at that time well from whitney you know i think i wanted her to be like really enraptured in presence with mm -hmm. me and also like i wanted her to join me on the stuff that i knew was working for me you know and she did you know mm -hmm. she did and this is like both of us were kind of like we had our own 
desires mm-hmm. about how to go about this. But to really have sat down and been like, this is like, this is really important for me. And like, I really want to go in with this. And I'm going to be so right there with you when we do this. And I like, I'm telling you, like, I'm going to be right, right there in mm-hmm. this. And this is going to be like amazing. And also like, I'm super open to be right there with you and your other things. And so like, let's, let's give this mm-hmm. a go together. You know, because that would have tapped into what I want. Like, I really yeah. wanted that mm. level of closeness. Yeah. And also, like, I wanted something special mm-hmm. for our relationship. And this would have offered that, mm-hmm. you know, but I didn't quite get it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I would have said yes. You know, I would have said, like, yeah, yeah, I'm fucking, I'm into that. Or there was, there could have been ways to, like, allure me Mm -hmm. into it by really understanding what I was needing. What I felt like I wasn't needing was more eye gazing practices or, (laughs) you know, different things like that at that point. Now, I, now you're like, that's my shit. Yeah, for sure, for (laughs) sure, for sure. But that wasn't also something that I inherently felt from her Mm -hmm. anyways. It was Mm -hmm. like, but you're not really into this anyways. Mm -hmm. How is this course going to, so I didn't get it. And I don't think she really got it. Mm -hmm. I think it was the right instinct. But I don't mm-hmm. think she really like got into the, what do we really yeah. want? What yes. do you want? What do I want? And how do we have this thing mm-hmm. create what we really want? Yeah. It's like the mutual win. And they say in negotiation, it shouldn't be, each person actually shouldn't win. There should be a different solution that's created that both people mm-hmm. come to together. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how can you find a place where you're both sort of winning, where you're feeling you're under being understood, you're being invited, you're being allured, you have the connection, you have this beautiful experience, but also the frequency of coming from a place of the invitation being the frequency that is a frequency of the truth. And sometimes when I think women, we can have that invitation of, please do this course with me. And the frequency is like, I'm hoping that this will get something out of it that might not be very obvious. Right. You know what I mean? There's actually a different, there's an undercurrent mm-hmm. here. This course is going to provide us with something that I'm feeling like I can't really ask for from you or yes. do for myself. And, and there might be, there might be a latent subconscious judgment that the person yes. feels. Yes. Like, Biggest oh, oh yeah. you're not good enough as yes. you are now. Yes. So you got to join me on yes. this and this like, I'm, I'm better than you because I want to yes. do this. And somebody's like, no, that's bullshit. You're not better than me. And so it creates yep. this tug and pull mm, situation. Yes. Mm. So I think really taking the time to understand what your partner really wants. Mm-hmm. And there may so not good. be an alignment, mm-hmm. right? Because ultimately all of these things will elevate all aspects of your life. Mm-hmm. So if your partner, speaking to the women or, or the men, mm-hmm. if your partner is just really what they care about is success and like their career is like the most important thing and and this, you know, finding ways to show like hey, like this, I know it may seem like our relationship, but through the strength of our relationship, like mm. you're going to be expanded in all levels and more capable and access a much greater depth mm-hmm. of connection with other people and the ability to, so really understanding mm-hmm. and, and, and knowing how this is going to help someone else's desires as they know them and also maybe illuminate desires that they didn't know they had. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, and so I think that's the balance, but they it may not be in resonance. And that's the thing. Like mm-hmm. if you are really not in resonance with your partner, it's a tough, it's a tough situation and it just may not work. The law of resonance will move you farther and farther apart. Mm. And so if you've made your best efforts and you've really listened to what they want and what they want and what you want are different, then it may be time to find somebody who's in greater resonance. I had a 
couple who were friends and they were working with some Lakota elders. They were both going to do their own separate ritual, their own separate offering. And the elder came to them and said, no, no, you guys do it. You guys do it together. Bury this thing in the same place. They said, well, that's, that's, that's not the tradition. And she goes, in relationship, there are no two ways. There's one way. Mm. That was the thing. It was like a, a deep coming together where your intention has to be mutual. And that's something that Vailana and I find all the time is we can get very easily lost in us focusing on what our own individual goals are and forget that we're all actually need to share the same intention and how to allow for our individuality to shine within that same overarching intention so it's like setting a intentional hierarchy of of needs a clarification Mm -hmm. of desire Mm. love that last question for me i've just on this piece of entering into a monogamous relationship and i think for me at times if i was single for seven years and then reconnected with my now fiance and at times in the beginning for the first two years I felt like I was walking in the dark. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was watching your documentary last night, I was like, wow. There were some times where I was like, I can't see which way is up because the the truth of what is is so potent. It's almost like all-encompassing in a relationship like that that is so, so beautiful, but so very much like this is my mirror. And I wonder what you have been shown about yourself and this experience in being in a union with Bailana and in this partnership that, from my perspective as an outsider-outsider, is so clear and true and there's really no room for illusion at all. What has she shown you about yourself that you didn't know? The essence of union is the classic pairing of the alpha and the omega, right? The Mm -hmm. masculine and the feminine. And really the trinity is formed when you go alpha, chi, omega, which is chi forming the the nexus of trinity that that actually comes in the relationship and that actually becomes a portal to the divine. Mm -hmm. So in the highest articulation, your union should be a portal to the divine. You should be able to find how to love and be loved by the world through your love and receipt of love from your partner. And that unio mystico, like the union with the mystery, can be found in the relationship, Mm -hmm. in the container. So what can you learn from your partner as a mirror? Everything. Mm-hmm. Everything. God. Everything. Love. The, the, the mystery itself. And that's the beauty of a relationship in its highest articulation is like it forms the Alpha Chi Omega Trinity where it's alpha, the Alpha and Omega principles which are contained within us all. We all have our masculine and mm-hmm. feminine. But what's really the thing that you wouldn't discover is the real union that can come from when the polarities meet and then that other thing is formed, which is the unicity Mm. or the monadicity. Mm. All beautiful. And I just want to know what's on your heart. I think at the beginning of our conversation, we 
we're talking a little bit about your ceremony that you did and we kind of tapped into it, but I would just love to close with, you know, whatever is really present for you and on your heart. Hmm. The process that I'm in currently at times is utterly overwhelming, Mm -hmm. utterly overwhelming because the options of good choices, good things to do are innumerable. It's like, I want to do that. 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 I'm not doing anything I don't want to do. But in the unbelievable availability of all of these possible choices, there can be a a paralyzing overwhelm. Mm -hmm. And I haven't fully been able to reconcile that. Mm -hmm. How do I say no to each one of these things that I've set in motion? When I love them, I've cultivated them. But also my energetic reserves to be able to do them are, like I said before on the podcast, like I'm redlining my capacity to be able to do anything Mm. at all. And like I'm flirting, I'm flirting with a collapse of ability to do anything by continuing to say yes to everything, which are all, it's not like, this is not an easy choice. Some in and, and the, the like the default answer. Well, just take care of you. You got to take care of yourself. Yeah, I fucking get it. <laughs> like I totally get it. But there's so much. There's so many important things. Like what happens when a dear friend of mine needs my support, and I need some support too. But this is the only time that I have available. It's not an easy choice. It's not like. Well, just don't go out drinking with your buddies. Yeah, I got that part. Mm-hmm. You know, like I get that. Wake it's up a, early. It's an easy, <laughs> easy choice. You know what I mean? So some choices are easy. I've made the easy choices, but now it's the hard choices. Mm-hmm. It's like, damn, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really know what to do. Like, and, and those, those are, that's, a, that's where the challenge is right now. And today in particular, if you ask me what's on it, the challenge is it's like, I don't, sometimes I don't know how I'm going to keep going. Mm. And it's like just a prayer for greater and greater strength. And, you know, I'm friends with a lot of people, Parangi being one of them, who's a sun dancer. And sun dance is the most inexplicably difficult Mm. ritual Mm. where you're fasting from food and water for four days, usually. You're doing two sweat lodges a day while not drinking water. And then at a certain point, you pierce your flesh and tie yourself to a tree and dance until you pull these different plugs out of your body and release your offering to the earth. Mm-hmm. Like, while being that thirsty and that hungry, and I, and I ask them, I'm like, how the fuck do you do this? Like, I can't even, I couldn't go through a day without water it feels Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. and i've done a lot of things i've Mm -hmm. done the darkness i've done Mm -hmm. you know fasts Mm -hmm. you know but not a dry fast you know because i'm I'm constantly thirsty i'm like the thirstiest human Mm -hmm. yeah we're in austin yeah yeah. (laughs) and i ask them and they just say prayer it's not Mm -hmm. possible it's not possible it is not possible Mm So prayer is always their answer. And it doesn't matter mm-hmm. whether I'm talking to my fit-for-service brother, Ken, or I'm talking to Parangi, or I'm talking to whoever. What that ritual teaches them is that the impossible becomes possible with prayer. 
And so, yes, I can make some changes in my life and probably will. Uh, I don't like using the word should, but in this case, probably should. (laughs) (laughs) But I think the other option is to deeply strengthen my prayer and deeply ask for more support from the Mm -hmm. universe and surrender more because it's not just the things that I'm doing. It's worrying about whether I'm going to have enough energy to do them, worrying about how they're going to go, worrying about the outcome of these different things. But if I strengthen my prayer, a lot of that worry will fall. And mm-hmm. so a lot of the energy that I'm wasting that's not actually mm-hmm. returning anything will mitigate. So I guess talking through this with y'all, and thanks mm-hmm. for asking. And first of all, thank you for asking amazing questions. This oh, is one of my favorite you. podcasts I've done. Oh, and, thank and you. It's it was because, such a pleasure. Yeah, no, thank you for that. Thank and you. um, yeah, it's, uh, it's not always an easy time for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those times where it's not easy. Mm -hmm. I think the only option I have right now is to strengthen my prayer Mm -hmm. because I need help. Mm -hmm. And it's not about people. I know I got lots of people who are willing to help me, but they can't help me right now. Maybe a little bit here or there. You know, before I came, Bailana was like, how can I help you? How can I? I was like, I don't know, babe. Like, Mm -hmm. if you can make me a shake, you know, then I won't have to make it. And then I'll save me, you know, a minute. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I need a, you know, I need to strengthen my prayer and uh, and get support from the universe. Mm-hmm. It's the honest truth. Mm-hmm. What's on my heart right now? And thank God for those moments. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. thank yeah, God for all the moments yeah. and for all the blessings that the thing is is like. <laughs> All of this, this whole situation is created from blessing after mm-hmm. blessing after blessing mm-hmm. after amazing friend after amazing mm-hmm. connection after amazing gifts that can really help people, mm-hmm. you know, like, and I'm so grateful for all of that. My ability to twice this week, you know, I was showed up in deep, deep service, all day ceremonial service to two sisters, two dear friends who really, really needed my support this week. And it, it, I didn't, wasn't willing to say no to that. Yeah. And I wouldn't want to. It was the time. And so all of that is a blessing. It's a blessing that I'm able to serve in that way. And I feel the blessing of everything in my life. And it's not a lack of gratitude. And maybe it is some, maybe I can increase my gratitude. Always gratitude can be mm-hmm. increased. But yeah, it's a full acknowledgement of all the blessings. And also just a recognition that it's, uh, it's time to strengthen my prayer. Mm-hmm. Amen. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. For sure. Thank you so much. Yeah. Just even hearing you say that, I have so much gratitude for you being here. And it's such a reminder for me. I had so much joy in my heart being able to come here and talk to you because I feel the resonance of your heart, obviously. But I'm just really grateful we were able to sit mm-hmm. down and I'm grateful with everything you have going on that you were able to just share with us. So thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Thanks Absolutely. for making it one of those conversations that I leave feeling more full than when I started. Mm -hmm. Us too. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you so much, Aubrey. It was such a pleasure to have you on the show. You can follow Aubrey on Instagram, Aubrey Marcus, and you can go to aubreymarcus.com. 
Thank you to the sponsors for this episode. All of the discount information is in our show notes and on almost30.com. Make sure you're subscribed to Almost 30 and we will see you on the next episode. Love you so much. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.